Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show on this last week before Christmas. James Blend is producing Dave King Engineering here in Portland and in the uh, Seattle area. Quan McCoy producing and engineering as Pedro Bartez is on vacation. Glad to have you with us. Looking forward to a conversation in our second hour with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. He is pastor of Southwest Bible Church in Beaverton, Oregon. He's also host of Abide in the Word, the uh, program heard here on uh, KPDQ AM and FM, here on AM, Monday through Friday, 530, 830, and uh, 1230. That's AM, PM, AM. And on 800 AM, uh, Monday through Friday at 6 AM and 5 PM. I'll repeat all that later. That was probably a bit of a confusing jumble. Anyway, we'll talk with him about uh, the hope of Christmas. And we're looking forward to conversation with uh, pastors from both the Portland area and the Seattle area the rest of this week. We'll talk with Pastor Steve Jamison, lead pastor of East Eastridge Church in Issaquah, host of Eastridge Today, heard on KGNW on Tuesday. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Pastor Rich Jones from Calvary Chapel, Hillsboro. And on Thursday, Pastor Alvin Curry, pastor of Pillar of Truth Community Bible Church and host of Let the Truth Set You Free on KGNW. Looking forward to those conversations this week as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas. Well, former Assistant U.S. Attorney Andy McCarthy joined America's newsroom to react to former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, insisting that Hunter Biden should stop talking in public. The MSNBC host said on Sunday that the president's son making public remarks on Capitol Hill last week was not helpful to anyone, namely the president. McCarthy said the president's political strategy has already collided uh, with his son's legal woes, and that's not... um, doing his uh, campaign, his reelection efforts any good. McCarthy said, I think they've already collided. The time to worry about when uh, what Jen Psaki is talking about was before Hunter got indicted, when they were trying to make the whole case go away. But now, obviously, he's indicted um, and uh, he's not um, not by one, but two cases. He's uh, going to be out uh, publicly. Uh, as is his lawyer speaking, and that's going to be excruciating for the president. There's a kind of uh, confluence of events that we've seen. David Axelrod says maybe Biden shouldn't run. There's a Wall Street Journal report this weekend where it seems like Obama is saying the same thing. We've got now two indictments. And what's uh, astonished me, this is Andrew McCarthy, about the latest indictment is not just the details. This is a 4,000 word report, which means that they spent weeks on it. They could have dropped it um, at any time, and it uh, dredge it up, dredges up stuff that's been kind of vaguely known for years, and that Joe Biden must have thought that he had survived that long ago. And here it is again, right at a time when a lot of top Democrats are saying it may be time for him to get out. Now, whether or not that will be the case is up to the president. In other news, Carol Fox, an AmeriCorps Chapter 11 trustee, told the House Oversight Committee on Monday that the now bankrupt healthcare company previously provided $600,000 loan to James Biden on the promise that he could bring in funding from the Middle East that never materialized. On March the 1st of 2018, after AmeriCorps wired a $200,000 loan to James and Sarah Biden's personal bank account, James Biden sent a payment of the same amount to Joe Biden for an alleged loan repayment. Well, it was 
um, Fox previously filed a lawsuit against James Biden, claiming that he made representations that his last name, Biden, could open doors and that he could obtain a large investment from the Middle East based on his political connections. And that's a quote. The suit alleges that AmeriCorps sent $600,000 to James and Sarah Biden, their personal bank accounts in total, and demanded James Biden repay AmeriCorps the full amount James Biden ultimately agreed to a settlement repayment of $350,000. Well, Fox told the committee in the transcribed interview on Monday that uh, she saw uh, no records or documentation of the loan from AmeriCorps to James Biden and that the company instead chose to provide a loan with no documentation based on the promise that James Biden could bring in funding from the Middle East. A person familiar with the committee's investigation into the Biden family's business dealings told National Review. Now, Fox said the money James Biden ultimately paid to his brother could have come from two possible sources, predatory loans or senior citizen money fraudulently invested by James Biden's business partner, Michael Lewitt. Well, in September, the Securities and Exchange Commission filed a complaint against Lewitt and his investment advisory firm, Third Friday Management. The complaint claims misrepresentations and omissions regarding a charge, uh, or rather a change in the investment strategy of Third Friday Total Return Fund, LP, to suddenly change course without disclosing to investors, many of whom were elderly, that it had begun making loans to a distressed, not bankrupt company that acquired and operated struggling rural hospitals. Well, in the lawsuit, Fox, and again, we're talking about an individual and not the uh, television network previously alleged James Biden had helped procure an ill-advised bridge loan from a hedge fund that had a deleterious impact on the financial affairs of the debtor and ultimately forced debtors into bankruptcy as James Biden never delivered the promised large investments from the Middle East. Fox uh, said that she had not seen the $200,000 check from James Biden to Joe Biden until her transcribed interview on Monday She said in her experience she would try to claw back amounts from a subsequent transferee depending on the dollar amount. She said she considers $200,000 to be a significant sum of money, as would most people. James Biden's attorney previously dismissed Republican lawmakers' interest in the payment, and the investigation continues. In other news, uh, Douglas Andrews wrote a piece, um, The Politics of Impeachment, in the Patriot Post, in which he writes, Much has been said this week, referring to the 15th of December and back, mostly by Democrats, as House Republicans move forward with the 221-212 party line vote on an impeachment inquiry into the influence peddling operation of Joe Biden. These are not serious people, said seriously uh, censured California Congressman Adam Schiff, this is not a serious impeachment inquiry, end quote. Well, echoing the uh, unserious theme was CNN's anchor Aaron Burnett, who said 221 people without evidence voted to launch an impeachment inquiry, end quote. Without evidence. Well, constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley, for one, begs to differ. When he testified before Congress in late September, he made clear that he'd already seen and heard enough to meet the threshold for such an inquiry. He reiterated the, the, uh, this position in a column on Wednesday headlined, Don't don't believe Democrats' myths. There's clear evidence for investigating President Biden, end quote. Turley then lists 
those three myths, those three refrains that have been repeated ad nauseum by defenders of the president, that Joe Biden did not benefit from influence peddling, that it's about Hunter Biden's addictions, not his actions, and that it's all about Hunter's truck. That is the bank records that Republicans say are direct evidence of influence peddling payouts from Hunter to the big guy are really just the repayment of a loan for Hunter's truck. A lot of loan money coming from Biden being repaid by family members. As Turley said, don't believe it. There's plenty of smoke and fire. But while Turley is serious about these things, one person is decidedly unserious. Hunter Biden himself. Clearly, the noted artist and first son is upset by all the trouble he's caused his old man. It was Hunter's abandonment of a deeply incriminating laptop computer at Delaware repair shop, after all, that set all this in motion. As was reported yesterday, the normally reticent Hunter was on Capitol Hill on Wednesday morning, where he railed against those mean-spirited MAGA Republicans. If you want to be really offensive about Republicans, add MAGA, and defied a subpoena to appear before the House Oversight Committee for a private deposition. They've invaded my privacy, attacked my wife and children, he railed. They've tried to dehumanize me and embarrass and damage my father, end quote. They're trying to embarrass the old man. Well, the nerve of those MAGA Republicans muscling in on Hunter's own turf. It's anyone uh, is going to embarrass his father. It's going to be the guy with the, well, a laundry list of difficulties. As for Joe Biden himself, he issued a White House statement on Wednesday dismissing this as baseless House Republican impeachment stunt. He continued, I wake up every day focused on the issues facing the American people. Well, again, there are plenty of facts the GOP's at their disposal, but impeachment is, first and foremost, a political act. And so far, Republicans have gotten the politics right. They've been method, uh, methodolo- methodological and they haven't gotten um, out over their skis. As the editor of National Review wrote, this is a political victory for House uh, Speaker Mike Johnson. Prior to yesterday, Republicans didn't have the votes for an inquiry and had relied on the Nancy Pelosi president of simply deeming an inquiry open. This was embarrassing since they had so um, strenuously objected to Pelosi's tactic um, back during the Trump administration. The Democrats did it wrong when they impeached Donald Trump and the country largely knows it. By doing this the right way, Republicans can clearly illustrate to the American people, which political party is serious, which party deserves their vote of confidence. Now, whether or not it will be translated in that way, we'll just have to wait and see. And again, this is a, an impeachment inquiry. It is not an impeachment. The investigation now has more teeth to gain uh, access to information they say they need. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show Coming up later in our second hour, a conversation with Scott Gilchrist, pastor at Southwest Bible Church and host of Abide in the Word, formerly Downtown Bible Class. We're going to talk about the hope of Christmas. That's coming up in the next hour of today's program. Former President Donald Trump is leading President Biden among young voters by a 13-point margin. That's according to the latest Fox News poll. 41% of respondents under 30 said that they'd vote for Trump, 77 In the 2024 general election, while 28 percent said they'd vote for Biden, 81. Those under 45 years of age also favored Trump, and 41 percent said they'd vote for Trump versus 31 percent who'd cast a vote for Biden. Well, Trump is also more popular among women voters at 41 percent to 34 percent for Biden, according to the poll, which interviewed 1,007 registered voters randomly selected between the 10th and 13th of this month. Now, that's a very small sample group, so... Keep that in mind. The polling results come as the Trump campaign is 
is uh, targeting young voters and widening its support among GOP voters. On Saturday, he made a stop at the University of New Hampshire and railed against Biden's economy and the migrant crisis at the southern border. According to a USA Today report that interviewed Republican and Democrat college students outside the rally, some young voters agreed with Biden's handling of the economy and foreign affairs were critical issues heading into the 2024 election. Trump keeps gaining ground in the Republican presidential nomination contest as fewer than one third of GOP primary voters now back all his rivals combined. The survey also found his supporters stand at 69 percent in the primary race. That's up seven points since November and 26 points since February. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, he received 12 percent support, down one point since November. Former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley gets nine percent. That's minus one point. Vivek Ramaswamy at 5%, that's minus 2 points, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie at 2%, and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson uh, with 1%, which has remained steady throughout. Well, in um, hypothetical general election matchups against the president, Haley is ahead by 6 points, Trump is up by 4, though neither advantage is statistically significant, while DeSantis and Biden are tied As recently as August, Biden was narrowly ahead of all three of them. But that has since changed. Again, it was a very small sample group, 1,007. A federal jury on Friday ordered former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani to pay a total of $148 million to two former Georgia poll workers who he defamed with his false comments about the 2020 presidential election. Rudy Freeman and her daughter, Wandria Arshea, or Shea Moss, Sue Giuliani uh, saying he defamed them with his claims that they carried out a fake ballot processing scheme when they served as election workers for the Fulton County in 2020. A federal judge found the former New York City mayor liable for defaming Freeman and Moss earlier this year and tasked an eight man jury with deciding how much Giuliani would have to pay uh, the pair in compensatory and punitive damages. Freeman asked for compensatory damages of $23.9 million and Moss for $24.7 million for defamation and an unspecified amount for other damages. Well, the jury awarded $75 million in punitive damages for both Freeman and Moss, as well as more than $16 million to Freeman in um, compensatory damages for defamation, nearly $17 million to Moss in compensatory damages for defamation, and $20 million each and compensatory damages for emotional distress. I've been put out a few times. I think the court should probably give me something. Anyway, Freeman and Moss said Giuliani's claims led them to receive racist threats. After the verdict was read in court, Giuliani told reporters that the threats were abominable and deplorable, but he claimed he had evidence to support his false claims about the 2020 election. Of course, he didn't refer to them as false claims. The court, however, did. Representative Dan Crenshaw, the Republican out of Texas, will introduce legislation to prohibit institutions of higher education from requiring students to write or endorse diversity, equity and inclusion statements. National Review has exclusively learned building on a recently signed Texas law banning DEI programs in the state's public universities. The bill would amend the Higher Education Act of 1965 to prevent universities across the country from receiving any federal funding if they compel students to compose or sign the oaths. Crenshaw told National Review that the recent explosion of campus anti-Semitism 
uh, provided the impetus for the bill. We can see the utter moral bankruptcy in higher education with the spread of anti-Semitism on college campuses, he said. Make no mistake, the DEI bureaucracy is directly responsible for a toxic campus culture that separates everyone into oppressor versus oppressed. That's why I am dropping legislation to produce uh, and protect free thought and prevent federal funding for universities that force students to write a diversity, equity and inclusion statements. End quote. In addition to barring universities from mandating that students affirm DEI principles in writing, the bill includes provisions to prevent educational institutions from using such uh, statements as conditions of employment or enrollment. Moreover, the legislation would prevent universities from forcing students to provide a statement indicating the students, employees or contractors race, color, ethnicity or national origin, except to the minimum extent needed to record any necessary demographic information. Preempting complaints from opponents of the bill concerned about academic freedom, much like the university presidents who, in their testimonies in front of the House Education and Workforce Committee, fell back on arguments of open discourse. Crenshaw included a section in the bill clarifying that if enacted, the legislation would not infringe on classroom instruction or compliance with anti-discrimination law. That bill was to be dropped earlier today. Pope Francis has now announced that he is allowing priests to bless same-sex couples. A new document explaining the change in Vatican policy was released today, saying that people seeking God's love and mercy shouldn't be subject to an exhaustive moral analysis to receive it, the Associated Press reported. Francis sent a letter to two conservative cardinals in October suggesting that such blessings could be offered under some circumstances if those receiving the blessing did not confuse the ritual with the sacrament of marriage. So I'm not sure how that works, but it's a same-sex uh, couples who may or may not be married. Well, the church stands firm in its stance that marriage is a lifelong a sacrament between a man and a woman, and that blessing uh, blessings should not be given at the same time as a civil union using set uh, rituals or even with other actions or clothing related to weddings. The document from the Vatican Doctrine Office says that requests for such blessings should not be denied. Ultimately, a blessing offers people a, um, a means to increase their trust in God, the document said. The request for a blessing thus expresses and nurtures openness to the transcendence, mercy and closeness to God in a thousand concrete circumstances of life, which is no small thing in the world in which we live, end quote. It is a seed of the Holy Spirit that must be nurtured, not hindered, the Pope added. Well, in the new document, the Vatican said the church must shy away from doctrinal and disciplinary schemes, especially when they lead to a narcissistic and authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, one uh, analyzes and classifies others, and um, instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his or her energies in inspecting and verifying. It stresses that uh, people in regular unions, gay or straight, are in a state of sin. However, it said that should not deprive them of God's love and mercy. So I'm not entirely clear what the blessing conveys. He went on to say, thus, when people ask for a blessing, an exhaustive moral analysis should not be placed as a precondition for conferring it, the document said. The Vatican has long opposed same-sex marriage. Reverend James Martin, a prominent advocate for LGBTQ Catholics, celebrated the announcement, along with many priests, I will now be delighted to bless my friends in same-sex unions. Again, unions not being defined, although the church does not recognize same-sex marriage. Then we're talking about the Catholic Church.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back momentarily. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. I'm Georgine Rice. Coming up later in the second hour, we'll talk with Pastor Scott Gilchrist from Southwest Bible Church in Beaverton. He's the host of Abide in the Word. We're going to talk about the hope of Christmas. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. And we'll continue conversations with pastors over the next several days including pastors from the Seattle area and here in the Portland metro area. Well, the Supreme Court has allowed an Illinois law banning high-powered semi-automatic weapons to remain in place. In a Thursday order with no noted dissents or explanation of its decision, the Supreme Court denied a request from the National Association for Gun Rights, which asked for a preliminary injunction. The ban, signed by Democratic Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker in January, includes penalties for individuals who carries or possesses, manufactures, sells, delivers, imports, or purchases any assault weapon or 50 caliber rifle. The law also includes statutory penalties for people who sells, manufactures, delivers, you got the laundry list, any kit or tools used to increase the fire rate of a semi-automatic weapon are also included in the ban, and the law includes a limit for purchases of certain magazines. After Thursday's ruling, the law will stay in place while it's litigated in the lower courts. Legislation that would overhaul the passport processing system in order to clear out a massive backlog facing Americans has passed through a top committee with unanimous support with the bill's authors saying it's now has a good chance to become law early next year. The Passport System Reform and Backlog Prevention Act, which aims to reduce processing times for passports, was approved unanimously by the House Foreign Affairs Committee on Wednesday, with both Democrats and Republicans voting in favor. Representative Daryl Issa, he hopes the bill will make its, uh, its way to the president's desk in early 2024. A Republican state attorney general is asking members of Congress to probe a Justice Department grant that he says benefits a radically progressive George Soros-linked group responsible for training prosecutors in ways to implement a soft-on-crime approach to their work. Missouri's Attorney General Andrew Bailey sent letters to Congress Wednesday to urge both Republican and Democrat lawmakers to further investigate and eliminate funding for programs that are counterproductive to public safety and that aid or encourage prosecutors to abuse discretion by refusing to bring criminals to justice. Bailey's letters follow what he describes as a galvanizing moment in Missouri when disgraced St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner, a progressive soft-on-crime prosecutor, led a repeat criminal out of uh, out on bail who then drove his speeding car into a young girl, leaving her with injuries that required the amputation of both of her legs. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen urged China to shift from a state-driven approach to economic policy to health competition with the United States or healthy competition, saying that their current approach is unfair. The PRC deploys unfair economic practices from non-market tools to barriers to access for foreign uh, firms to coercive actions against American companies, Yellen said at the U.S.-China Business Council's 50th anniversary dinner in Washington, D.C. on Thursday evening. These policies harm American workers and firms. The Treasury Secretary said that China's state-driven approach can discourage investors, urging the nation to shift away from their current economic policy. If the PRC were to shift away from its state-driven economic approach and industry and finance, I believe that would be better for the PRC as well. Too strong a role for state-owned enterprise can choke growth, and an excessive role for the security apparatus can dissuade investment, she said. Citing a recent U.S.-China Business Council member survey, Yellen noted that firms are 
reconsidering investment plans and said this should be concerning for the PRC. There are major philosophical differences. I'm not sure Janet Yellen can influence an entire shift in their worldview. A Christian group is fighting back after its requests to advertise on Metro buses was denied by the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. First Liberty and the ACLU filed a legal complaint on behalf of Wall Builders, the faith-based educational nonprofit that seeks to educate the public on America's forgotten history and heroes with an emphasis on the founders' religion and moral views. The Christian organization sought to put up banners of George Washington and other American historical figures on the sides of D.C. area metro buses, but were denied because they allegedly violated advertising restrictions. One ad that was rejected displays an iconic depiction of George Washington kneeling in prayer at Valley Forge with the text Christian in large font and a link to the Wall Builders website inviting viewers to find out about the faith of our founders. Tim Barton, president of Wall Builders, told Fox News Digital that they gave the WMATA multiple versions of their proposed ads, but none were acceptable. A group of recently released hostages and their relatives met with Israeli Defense Minister uh, Yov Gallant and War Cabinet member Benny Gans on Saturday evening. One of the freed hostages quoted the Times of Israel relaying the fear that uh, captives endured daily and the lingering trauma they've experienced since their release. Every passing day is terrifying. You have no idea what kind of monsters we're dealing with. If they're feeling threatened, they will use the captives. They're scared. Uh, they scared us that the IDF would use the Hannibal directive on civilians. And therefore, we were scared that the IDF bombings were close. And the unnamed individual was quoted as saying, referring to the use of heavy fire of if a soldier is abducted, even at the risk of killing the soldier. They were so close that we begged them to take us uh, from the building in which we were held into the tunnels for safety. And at one stage, they said the subject said before warning the soldiers, don't go into the tunnels. They are uh, moving around in there in vast numbers. It is a colossal danger to soldiers and to hostages. The comments come more than two months after Hamas militants stormed into southern Israel and killed some 1,200 people and captured scores of hostages. A climate-focused nonprofit with significant operations in Beijing has wired millions of dollars to fund climate initiatives and environmental groups in the U.S., according to a tax filing first obtained by Fox News Digital. And while the Energy Foundation financial filings indicate that the group is technically headquartered in San Francisco, a review determined that the majority of its operations are conducted in China with a staff that boasts extensive ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Its recently filed tax uh, form showed the group, which refers to itself as Energy Foundation China, contributed $3.8 million to initiatives in the U.S., like phasing out coal and electrifying the transportation sector. The Energy Foundation's ties to China are both extremely disturbing and reprehensible, Tom Pyle, the president of the Institute for Energy Research, said in an interview. These environmental organizations, the recipients of this money, are in essence sacrificing our national security and empowering China. We are the richest energy nation in the world with respect to coal, oil, and natural gas, he continued, and yet the administration here and the environmentalists fueled by China are promoting policies that would increase our dependence on China, which controls all of the minerals and materials needed for batteries and wind and solar and curtail our production of oil and gas here at home. This is no mistake. Hunter Biden's financial and personal ties to Hollywood mega attorney Kevin Morris who's accused of lending him millions of dollars to pay off back taxes remain in House Republicans crosshairs. 
From what the IRS whistleblowers have highlighted, they, Biden and Morris, just got to know each other about two months before he paid roughly $2 million into Hunter Biden's tax returns. But he had been known as a big Democrat supporter and donor Hollywood attorney. Missouri Representative Jason Smith, a Republican, uh, said on Sunday, the question is, why would Kevin Morris pay almost $5 million for tax filings and also to subsidize Hunter Biden's lifestyle? What is Kevin Morris getting from Hunter Biden or from Joe Biden? These are things that we need to look into. Well, in December 1940, while we were still at peace, President Franklin Roosevelt famously called on the United States to be the great arsenal of democracy. He said it was the purpose of the nation to build with all possible speed every machine, every arsenal, every factory that we need to manufacture our defense material. Gallagher said uh, Roosevelt's call to provide a lifeline to allies also helped to arm our own military in advance of and through the years of heavy conflict and ultimate ultimately to win the war. Today, the United States finds itself needing to rebuild a different kind of arsenal, an arsenal of deterrence, he wrote. Gallagher warns that Chinese President Xi Jinping has ordered the Chinese military to be ready to invade Taiwan by 2027. Now, Gallagher is uh, warning that in order to prevent war, the United States must uh, quickly remake an arsenal of deterrence that can arm Taiwan as well as our own forces to allow us to prevail in any conflict in the Indo-Pacific. Gallagher, however, said the United States' current struggles to meet the significant demand for U.S. munitions in Ukraine and now even in Israel have revealed the the fragility of our munitions industrial complex. It's a very serious concern. California Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, commands uh, Golden State that has turned into a deep blue sapphire state. As Newsom uh, took over following the 2003 San Francisco mayoral election, the then mayor elect said that December he intended to aggressively make ending homelessness in our in uh, his city, his administration's top priority. Well, the plan involving a 10 year strategy to end chronic homelessness with tens of millions of federal dollars in funding to create 550 supportive housing units for the troubled houseless. Uh, San Francisco Gate reported at the time. Fast forward to December of this year, and the announcement of that strategy is now two decades old. San Francisco, along with the rest of California, is far from solving the problem. In fact, the growing homeless uh, uh, population has become a central issue in California's political debate. Twenty years in the making. Twenty years ago, then-Mayor Newsom laid out his 10-year plan to end homelessness in San Francisco. California GOP Chairwoman Jessica Milan Patterson told the Uh, The news outlets not only does the problem remain unsolved today, but in the time since he has taken his failures statewide where communities across California are grappling with the devastating homeless crisis. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Coming up in the second hour, a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist, pastor of Southwest Bible Church and host of Abide in the Word. Heard here on KPDQ FM. We'll talk about the hope of Christmas. Well, the ongoing feud between New York Times publisher A.G. Schulzberger and former opinion editor James Bennett has put a renewed spotlight on illiberal bias issues at the uh, paper that were at the center of the media zeitgeist in 2020. Bennett, who was forced to resign in 2020, penned a lengthy essay last week for The Economist outlining how liberal groupthink has taken over the Times newsroom. He suggested the paper has lost its way and said Schulenberger 
forced him to resign with icy anger that still puzzles and saddens me because liberal staffers were offended by an op-ed published by Senator Tom Cotton, a Republican out of Arkansas, who suggested the military could be deployed to quell urban riots that summer. Political's Ian Ward labeled Bennett's 16,000-plus word article a condemning portrait of the Times, while Fox News contributor Molly Hemingway said it indicts his former paper for its close-mindedness. It will not likely move the needle. NBC News came under fire on social media over a ridiculous headline that seemed to fault conservative news outlets for reporting that a Democrat Senate staffer filmed a uh, a gay sex video in the Capitol room, uh, Capitol Hill hearing room. The report came after the Daily Caller published an amateur pornographic video Friday that showed an alleged congressional staffer engaged in the activity with another man in Hart Senate office building room 216. According to the Daily Caller, the video was leaked after being shared in a private group for gay men in politics. Posts on social media claim the alleged staffer worked for Senator Ben Cardin, the Democrat out of Maryland. Hours after the story broke, Cardin's office announced that a legislative aide had been dismissed, but didn't explicitly link the staffer or his dismissal to the tape. So it's not altogether clear if that was the same individual. Massachusetts Teachers Association issued a statement stating that the U.S. is complicit with Israeli genocide or the uh, genocide perpetrated by Israel. A statement approved by the Massachusetts Teachers Association's executive board on the Israel-Hamas war has prompted swift backlash for the leadership of the teachers union. The board voted to urge the National Educators Association to put pressure on the president to stop funding Israel, which the board characterized as a genocidal war on the Palestinian people in Gaza. The director of the Anti-Defamation League New England, Rabbi Jonah Steinberg, said the organization has heard from members of the Massachusetts Teachers Association who were frankly embarrassed at the statement that ostensibly represents them. He called it one-sided and biased and said it ignores the entirety uh, of the complex situation in Israel and Gaza. A smaller teachers union in the state, the Newton Teachers Association, Uh, distanced itself Tuesday from the actions taken by the Massachusetts Teachers Association, which represents more than 100,000 educators in the state. It said the motion passed by the MTA's board of directors was an example of the anti-Semitic dog whistling and said that it could uh, lead to more Jew hatred. Uh, Harvard uh, rabbi shared his story of how he must hide the menorah each night to avoid vandalism. This is the same Harvard University that refused to fire their president for her anti-Semitic testimony. National Review reported that a rabbi at Harvard University was told by administrators to hide the campus menorah each night of Hanukkah for fear of vandalization and other criminal activity, the rabbi said in a video posted on social media. We in the Jewish community are longing for a day that Harvard not only has our back and not only allows us to finally put up a menorah, but doesn't force us to hide it at night, the rabbi Uh, Zarki, uh, the founder and president of the Harvard Shabbat, uh, said while uh, celebrating Hanukkah on Wednesday evening, the Jewish holiday concludes concluded rather on Friday before lighting the candles for the seventh right uh, seventh night of Hanukkah. Rabbi Hershey Zarki, a Harvard Shabbat, uh, shared the story about how he was forced to hide his light under a bushel, if you will. President Biden's approval ratings reached new lows. We mentioned that earlier in the program, but it's raising lots of questions as to whether or not he will 
run for a second term? And if not, who would run in his stead? Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin stated he would like to find a solution. Those are his words. Find a solution to send Americans Evan Gerskovich and Paul Whelan back home. Russian President um, Putin said Moscow was in talks with the United States over detained American Evan Gerskovich and Paul Whelan. In his end of year news conference on Thursday, Putin said that he hoped to find a solution, even though it's not easy. His comments come after the U.S. State Department said last week that Russia had recently rejected a new and significant proposal for the release of two Americans. On Thursday, State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller told reporters that Washington has put multiple offers on the table. Putin's event Thursday was his first year-end news conference since Russia invaded Ukraine in 2022. The country's longtime leader recently announced he would be running for another six-year term as president in Russia's upcoming March election. A federal prosecutor who allegedly interfered in the criminal investigation of Hunter Biden to protect both President Biden and his son recently left the Justice Department. The Post uh, has learned former Delaware Assistant U.S. Attorney Leslie Wolf, um, uh, his uh, quiet departure emerged as or her uh, departure emerged as she appears to for a uh, deposition at the House Judiciary Committee on Thursday last week, following the Wednesday night House vote to formally authorize the impeachment inquiry into President Biden over his role in his son and brother's foreign business dealings. A U.S. warship shot down 14 suspected attacks, attack drones over the Red Sea on Saturday and a Royal Navy destroyer downed another drone that was targeting commercial ships. The British and American military said Houthi rebels in Yemen have launched a series of attacks on vessels in the Red Sea, one of the world's busiest shipping routes, and have launched drones and missiles targeting Israel as the Israeli-Hamas war threatens to spread across the uh, the region. U.S. Central Command said that the destroyer USS Kearney successfully engaged 14 unmanned aerial systems launched from Houthi-controlled areas in Yemen. U.K.'s Ministry of Defense said that HMS Diamond, one of the Navy's most advanced warships, swiftly intercepted and neutralized a potential threat to merchant vessels in the Red Sea using a Sea Viper missile. Alongside Royal Navy, we remain steadfast in safeguarding the lawful passage of ships in the region. A federal law enforcement source shared with the Fox Business Network an internal officer safety alert dated December 13th that warns CBP, that's Border Patrol agents, to be vigilant after the Mexican military seized 10 improvised explosive devices, IEDs, at the border. Charlie Kirk points out what in the uh, fr- what kind of fresh hell is this? 10 IEDs have been found at the U.S.-Mexico border. 12,000 mostly military-aged men every day crossing with deadly fentanyl. Chinese nationals crossing in large pods. Hundreds of deadly um, terrorist gotaways. We are being invaded by a foreign force, end quote. Cartel Watch reported the IEDs were found by Mexican authorities after Tucson Border Patrol observed gunshots at the U.S.-Mexico border and a Tucson Supervisory Border Patrol agent arrested an armed person on the U.S. side who had a loaded AK-47 rifle, two loaded AK magazines, loose rounds, and a handgun. A major law firm pulled out of campus recruiting events citing President uh, Gay's anti-Semitic testimony. A... Um, uh, Edelson PC, a major national law firm representing plaintiffs, 
said it will no longer participate in on-campus recruiting events at Harvard Law School, citing how the university's president refused to condemn calls for the genocide of Jews before Congress. Regrettably, I must address a recent incident that has deeply concerned us. We, along with the rest of the nation, observed Dr. Claudine Gay's testimony before Congress, wherein she refused to unequivocally state that advocating for genocide would breach the school's code of conduct. The law firm's founder, Jay Edelson, wrote in a letter last week, to Harvard's law recruitment office. Additionally, because Gay's colleagues had been asked the same question before Gay and uh, said that she had uh, time to prepare with a crisis management team before the hearing, her answer cannot be seen as merely a slip of the tongue, Edelson said about the upcoming event. The United States military reached the smallest number since before World War II. The United States is set to enter next year, 2024, with the smallest military in more than eight decades and faces one of its greatest challenges as it tries to boost recruiting from Gen Z. Pentagon officials said under the $886 billion annual defense bill passed by Congress last week, the total active duty troop numbers will fall to 1,284,500 next year. That's the lowest total uh, duty troop numbers uh, since before the U.S. entered the Second War, uh, World War in 1941, and officials said there should be a national call to service. Uh, recent recruitment targets were missed in the Army, Navy, and Air Force, although the Marine Corps and the newly established Space Force reached their goals. And Capitol Police investigated a sex tape filmed in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, and a Democrat staffer has been fired. We get different view- versions of what happened. But they say they're taking it very seriously. Meanwhile, North Korea launched a short-range ballistic missile into the sea on Sunday, South Korea said, and as Pyongyang blamed the U.S. for escalating military tensions on the Korean peninsula. We've got news coming up at the top of the hour. When we return, a conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist from Southwest Bible Church and host of Abide in the Word. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I happened to attend a service this past Sunday morning, and Pastor Scott Gilchrist was the Bible teacher. I thoroughly enjoyed his call for us to consider what this Christmas thing is really all about. Most people are celebrating the season, but don't really know what they're celebrating. We're not just celebrating the season. We're not just celebrating a time with family, but there is a real um, a purpose to this season of celebration. So I invited Pastor Scott Gilchrist from Southwest Bible Church and host of Abide in the Word to join us to talk about the hope of Christmas and what Isaiah can tell us about uh, these events that ought to be uh, top of mind as we do come together as family, as we do celebrate this season, that we do so with a focus on the main thing. Pastor Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Georgine. It's great to be with you. You know, one of the things that you said uh, yesterday as you were uh, teaching was that we need to be careful that we don't merely have a a sentimentality about uh, the baby in the manger. Uh, I mean, that's sort of an easy thing to do. He he commands nothing from us. He doesn't accomplish anything. He has no purpose. He's just a baby in the manger. But he came with a purpose, and you focused on Isaiah 9. Can you just kind of help us to focus our attention on what's the main thing during this holiday season? Yeah, I'll tell you. It is so easy. This is, I think, the biggest celebration of the year, and it's so easy to get uh, just caught up in the celebration. And, And as you just said, so many people do without really contemplating who and what we're celebrating. And, uh, 
So I'd be happy to talk about it a little bit. You know, the Bible just throbs with anticipation that God, as soon as as soon as sin entered the world, God began to promise a Savior, and He gave more and more details. It's that's one of the reasons why the Bible is such a unique mm-hmm. book. And and people ask me why I believe it's the Word of God. One reason I believe it is uh, the amazing ability to foretell the future. But the Old Testament just gave detail after detail, looking ahead to this one that God would send into the world to redeem us, to save us from our sins. And of all the hundreds of prophecies, why Isaiah, uh, he's kind of the chief of the prophets, and so many of these great prophecies of Christ are found in Isaiah. And yesterday I was was, uh, zeroing in on just a few of them, uh, particularly chapter 9, where he said he would bring light to those in darkness and there would be no more gloom and uh, for her who was in anguish. And those those words just kind of captured me because we live in a day. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to uh, the, the station break and what you had read just before the station break, and the news is just overwhelming at times. The, and people find themselves in despair and real gloom, and uh, God said he's going to send one to deliver us from that gloom. And we have real hope because of this child who was born, this son who was given. And that's exactly the verbiage that Isaiah 9 uses. A child will be born to us. And Isaiah wrote that 700 years before that child was born. And he just said in the chapter earlier, the seventh chapter, he said, uh, a, a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and she'll name him Emmanuel. And, of course, when you turn to the New Testament, that's exactly what happened. Uh, God entered the human race through the virgin, Mary. And because of what Jesus Christ came and did and accomplished, why you and I can have a hope that is an absolutely unshakable hope. Mm, praise God for that. I love what you said that what Romans is to the epistles, Isaiah is to the prophets. It's kind of a blockbuster uh, book. It's it's one, if you haven't read through it, it can be difficult at times. It's It's a book that you should read through because it does have so many disclosures about uh, what God's plan was and uh, what he, as we stand from our vantage point, what he accomplished. One of the points that you made is how is it that there will be no more gloom? How is it that anguish will be dispelled? How is it that people living in darkness will find light? We have a, we have a, a tradition that, you know, Christmas is centered around peace on earth and joy, but I think few mm-hmm. people really understand how is that accomplished through the birth of this child that's foretold uh, in the uh, in the Old Testament and confirmed in the New. Yeah, well, God God looks at the real source of the problem. We tend to look at the symptoms, <clears throat> and uh, so we want help with our gloom. We want help with our anxiety. We want help with our guilt. And praise God, He He brought deliverance in every one of those areas. But He did it by sending His Son to save us from the root cause, sin. And sin is really what caused uh, the doom and the gloom and the anxiety and the discouragement and the depression and even the despair 
that so many people, probably some listening to me right now, are experiencing because sin messed up our relationship with our Creator. And we are guilty, and we do feel shame, and we do, things aren't working right. We are dysfunctional, to use a term that we use quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And Christ came to set us free from that sin and to bring us back into right relationship with our Creator. And then, of course, uh, as you get right with God, then you have the opportunity to get right horizontally with those around you. And the fruit of deliverance in Christ starts to make real big impact in your relationships horizontally here on earth. Uh, but I would say that he said he, there was two names that, that the New Testament opens with when Joseph and Mary both were kind of blown away by the situation. The angel came and said, you'll name him Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh, the Lord saves, the Lord delivers. You'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then he went on and said, he'll na we'll name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if you take those two thoughts, and, uh, and God is underlining, really, that that's why Christ came, to save us from sin. Uh, sin is what has messed us up. Sin is what has estranged us from God. And Jesus, the sinless one, came to actually lay his life down for his sheep. And that, of course, was uh, pre-told in Isaiah 53. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. I was thinking of it even this morning, and uh, we almost celebrate that sometimes. Do it your way. Do mm -hmm. it my way. You know, we, But that's really rebellion, and we've turned to our own way. And the Lord has caused that iniquity, that sin, that rebellion to fall on his son. And he paid for that rebellion, that sin, that disobedience. And he is uh, willing then to set us free from the guilt and the shame of that. And that's why he can say these great promises like no more gloom, no more anguish, uh, we can celebrate and rejoice because of what Jesus came to do. Amen. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Pastor Scott Gilchrist from Southwest Bible Church in Beaverton. He's also the host of Abide in the Word, heard here on KPDQ Monday through Friday at 5.30 a.m., 8.30 p.m. and 12.30 a.m. If you uh, if you want to understand God's Word and you like clear Bible teaching, you're going to love Abide in the Word. We'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Pastor Scott Gilchrist from Southwest Bible Church in Beaverton and host of Abide in the Word uh, here on KPDQ, heard Monday through Friday at 5.30 a.m., 8.30 p.m., and 12.30 AM. We've been talking about the hope of Christmas, and I'm reminded of Isaiah, the chapter, the ninth chapter. Um, some of what is said of this coming Savior, a child will be born to us, a son will be given, the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. 
if you if you're not excited about that, those promises <laughs> that are made that I, I don't know what to say that would get you excited about what God is declaring. This ancient promise that came to complete fulfillment, and we enjoy the the fruit of that faithful life that that um, Jesus gave and God sent. Yeah, I I have to agree with you. It's it's uh, one of my favorite quotes of the Old Testament, and often you'll see it on the front of a of a Christmas card. And it, it just, I love that when I see it, because a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. God became man, and he came here on mission. Uh, he he spoke of this many, many times. You and I, we don't even, we're not even aware of our own birth. We have to be told about it later. But Jesus... Uh, he he just spoke regularly. He said, I came because he is the eternal one. He said, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. I have come down to seek and to save the lost. And I'll tell you, that, like you said, if you're not excited about that, God is a God of hope. He cares for us. He sent his son to die on a cross for us. And because of this, our hope is not uh, circumstantial. We don't have to hope in the economy. We don't have to hope in politics. Oh, boy, we better not. (laughs) We better not. Uh, We don't hope in the latest news coming over the news. But no, we, we have a certain hope. And the scripture actually says it's an anchor of our soul because Jesus Christ did accomplish what he came to do. He came to die. He laid his life down. He took it up again. He rose from the dead. And that's why when you began this, you asked about, you know, it's easy to just get sentimental about the baby in the manger. We need to see the whole picture. God came in a very humble way. He lived a life like no one ever lived. He spoke like no one ever spoke. But he came to die. And he kept looking. He set his face like flint to head to Jerusalem. He said, it's not fitting that a prophet should die outside of Jerusalem. And he set his heart to to accomplish the will of his father. And so he was crucified. And uh, he said, every time he said that that would happen, he said, I'll, I'll rise again on the third day. And he did. He accomplished that. He had victory. And Isaiah predicted it by saying, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I love and, that assurance because, you know, there's nothing good? outside of him making that that commitment that would give you the confidence <clears throat> that we have in, in what he has done for us. Nothing can thwart his purposes. And so, you know, if he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then he said, it is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. And so he'll never die again. And those in Christ have an absolutely certain hope. And because our sins have been paid for, and we have the same life he has, eternal life, we're actually one with Christ. So that's hope that is unshakable and sure and steadfast. And I'm actually quoting Hebrews 6 when I say that. This hope, you and I, Georgine, we talk about hope and we use it 
like, well, I I hope things turn out right, or I hope it doesn't rain today, but we carry an umbrella too, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> we don't know. But the Bible says this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. So my hope is absolutely certain because the one who bore my sin on the cross is seated in the Holy of Holies in heaven right there inside the veil mm. and i am in him that's that's the kind of hope we're talking about and it's hope that's so contrary to the hopelessness of this day and it comes with joy and peace and it's a joy that is unspeakable peter calls it that he says i just can't put it into words and the peace that we have that isn't based on the latest news or what circumstances i'm facing but rather the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And he sealed that promise with his Holy Spirit that Mm. dwells within the life of the believer. One of the things you stressed yesterday was how uh, many of our Christmas carols, the more traditional, we're not talking about I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. We're talking about the traditional (laughs) uh, Christmas songs that really not only point to uh, what uh, what he did in coming, Uh, as a child, but also his second coming, which we also look forward to. We sang at the end of the service, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and I love the the, um, verse of the of the song, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Just that line alone, you just kind of want to stop because that is so full uh, when you try to comprehend what that means. Glory to the newborn king, hail the heaven born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. It tells the whole story from his earthly beginning to his return that we all look forward to and anticipate. God kept that ancient promise at Jesus' birth, and the rest of the story, uh, yet to be fulfilled, will come to pass. Boy, that's so true. And it's as if Charles Wesley, who wrote that, was meditating on Isaiah 9. Yes, And that's one of the great values of just pausing and listening to God's word and thinking about it, because he says his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And Wesley writes, veiled in flesh, the Mm. Godhead see. And Isaiah wrote, when he came, he was easy to miss. He was a a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty. I'm quoting Isaiah 53 that we should be attracted to him, or stately appearance. He was despised and forsaken of men. And it's still easy to just look the other way from Jesus, and much of the world does. But God became man, and 
he bore our sins in his body. And so those old hymn writers, they often, uh, I think they were spending real time just mulling it over. And then they wrote these beautiful songs. And, and I agree with you. It's so good to just ponder those songs. Sometimes they're so familiar. I, 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 uh, my grandpa was named Harold. And so when I, <laughs> as a kid, I'd hark the Herald. I didn't know what I was singing. <laughs> hark the Herald angels sing, you know, glory to the newborn king. They're heralding something. They're saying, listen up, hark, listen to what I have to say. And the angel said, today in the city of David, there's been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's good news. That's, that's real good news. news. <laughs> that's great news. I guess the question that needs to be answered by everyone who celebrates Christmas or even gives a thought to this season is, do you know him? We were made to know him. Have you responded to Jesus Christ? You'll miss the whole point. You might have some good food and a good time. That will fade. But knowing him is the point. Oh, boy. It's really tragic to think about celebrating the season without really understanding this great truth that we're talking about, this good news. And I'm just thinking of listeners right now as we're talking that maybe know about the trappings of the season, maybe know about Jesus, but But have never really come to know him personally. Well, Pastor Scott, we're out of time, but I do thank you for joining us. And again, want to encourage our listeners, abide in the word heard right here on KPDQ. Great to visit with you. Merry Christmas, Georgine. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Portland edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, apparently it's happening. The first charging station has been built. Well, two years after the president, after his administration, pushed Congress to allocate $7.5 billion for building a national network of EV chargers across the country, the first inaugural station is finally open for business. It's located in the small town of London, Ohio. The station features an Arby's and a Cinnabon. It opened on the 8th of December, though on the first day, no one was using it by midday. If you build it, they will come. Or will they? Well, apparently not. According to recent polling, just 19% of Americans say that they're very or extremely likely to buy an EV when they purchase their next vehicle. Indeed, automakers are cutting their planned production rate of EVs. Ford, rather, announced that it's having, um, having, H-A-L-V-I-N-G, having its production of the F-150 Lightning next year. Um, anyway, based on the rate at which the administration is rolling out its network of charging stations, why would anyone... Um, handicap their future mobility by buying one. Now, of course, there are some that are there that the government didn't place, but nonetheless, there's at least one after two years. San Francisco is a um, homeless camp again post-G. It might be a time to invite uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping for another visit to the cities by the bay. Last month, when the Chinese strongman showed up for the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom, he prepared for the visit by doing the impossible. He got San Francisco cleaned up. And that cleanup consisted primarily of ridding the city of its massive homeless population. Now, we've heard over the years, whenever there's a U.S. dignitary going to China, Xi would do the same there. And it was a big laugh that they had to do it. Well, turnabout, 
is apparently fair play. When questioned about the rapid cleanup, Newsom admitted it was a show. I know folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up the place because all these fancy leaders are coming into town. That's true because it's true, he said. To his credit, he wasn't lying. Human feces and tents uh, once again litter the sidewalks of San Francisco with the return of its homeless population. It's recognizable. San Francisco, same as before, observed CrossFit Golden Gate gym owner Danielle Rabkin. Anyone who pushed out of uh, 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 anyone they pushed out of important zones just uh, slowly crept right back in business as usual, end quote. Well, is the Arab world amenable to living in peace with a tiny Jewish state in its midst? Midst, rather, not if the belief of the Palestinians living in the West Bank and Gaza Strip are any indication. A recent poll by the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research showed that only 10 percent of those residents believe that Hamas committed war crimes during the October 7th invasion of Israel and its border communities. According to the poll, the overwhelming majority of respondents say that they have not seen videos from international or social media showing atrocities committed by Hamas members against Israeli civilians that day such as the killing of women and children in their homes. Indeed, more than 90 percent believe that Hamas fighters did not commit the atrocities contained in these videos. Are these people filled with hate? Are they oblivious? Are they simply not um, exposed to uh, the facts? Well, as uh, National Review added, the widespread backing of the 10-7 invasion, which featured the well-documented slaughter of civilians, has led to increased support for Hamas in both enclaves of the Palestinian territories. Anyone who doubts that existential threat posed by Hamas to Israel should consider these numbers and consider the sad reality of how far away from the prospect of peace are the hearts and minds of the people on the other side of that border. A devout Christian and former Navy pilot named Michael Cassidy recently tore down and beheaded a Satanist altar that had been erected in the Ohio Capitol building. As the Sentinel reported, members of the Satanic Temple of Ohio, or rather Iowa, they um, recently received permission to install the exhibit, which included a statue depicting the idol uh, Baphomet holding a pentacle and surrounded by candles on the first floor of the Iowa Capitol near displays of the nativity. Cassidy pushed over and decapitated the statue before he discarded the head in a trash can. He then turned himself into police, and he's going to need some good legal representation because the satanic cultists have indicated that they're going to press charges. Cassidy, though, seems certain in the righteousness of his cause. The world may tell Christians to submissively accept the legitimization of Satan, he said, but none of the founders would have considered government sanctions of satanic altars inside Capitol buildings as protected by the First Amendment. Anti-Christian values have steadily been mainstreamed more and more in recent decades, he went on to say, and Christians have largely acted like the proverbial frog in the boiling water. We wish him well as this um, uh, as of this program um, uh, no uh, clear direction as to what will happen to him has been indicated. Well, the Biden administration pushed Israel to end its legal, uh, its large scale war with Hamas. The high intensity phase of the Gaza war needs to end within weeks, Sullivan told Netanyahu on behalf of the United States. FBI officials who uh, the FBI official who helped launch the Trump Russia probe has been sentenced to four years in prison for work with the Russian oligarch. A Capitol Police commander who ordered evacuations of the Senate and House says J6 was not an insurrection. Defund the rot. 
Congress is eyeing elite universities' endowments amid the anti-Semitism probe. The House united behind a plan to end the Obama-era ban on whole milk in school lunches. So if you are in school, you have kids, grandkids, nieces and nephews, they might just have whole milk again. The Virginia Supreme Court backed a teacher fired for not using a student's preferred pronoun. The first Satanic Temple Kids Club has come to Memphis Elementary School. And Facebook's former head of DEI pled guilty to swindling the company out of $4 million. Megan Rapino, she called playing for the U.S. team the worst job in the world. Although she benefited from, by it uh, for many years and has uh, Her name is recognized because of it. But, of course, she's now retired. She can say what she pleases. Hmm. VW spent $2 billion to build America a charging network. It uh, ranked dead last. That's a sad tale. The FBI did target Catholics. You'd think that Joe Biden, being the good Catholic that he is, would have been incensed about the FBI's efforts to target adherents to his faith. Recall that back in July, the FBI's pencil-pushing director, Chris Wray, was hauled before the House Judiciary Committee to explain the now infamous Richmond Memo, a document produced in January by the Bureau's Richmond Field Office exploring racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism and radical traditionalist Catholic ideology and discussing new mitigation opportunities for cracking down on them. Well, at the time, Ray wanted us to believe that the document wasn't to be taken seriously. Indeed, he dismissed it as a single product by a single field office, which as soon as uh, he found out about it was um, aghast and ordered it uh, withdrawn and removed from the FBI systems. Well, earlier this month, Senate Judiciary Committee member Josh Hawley blasted Ray in yet another hearing. You haven't fired anybody, he thundered, so much for accountability. And now we learn via the April Freedom of Information Act request by legal watchdog Judicial Watch that the Bureau's Office of General Counsel reviewed the Richmond memo. These documents disprove the FBI's narrative that the spy operation against Catholics and churches was limited to one field office, says Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton. In fact, the operation seemed to have been approved by top lawyers in the FBI. The documents should trigger a criminal inquiry into the FBI scandal under the current administration. Well, there hasn't been any justice meted out for the conspirators of the Obama administration who concocted the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, but some small consolation emerged on Thursday when Charles McGonigal, an FBI counterintelligence chief who spent more than two decades working on our nation's uh, biggest terrorism and national security cases, was sentenced to more than four years in prison. Of course, the sentences had nothing to do with his role in helping to launch Crossfire Hurricane against Donald Trump. Instead, McGonagall has pled guilty in August to accepting secret payments from a Russian billionaire with close ties to Vladimir Putin for the purpose of digging up dirt on a rival oligarch. The charges included conspiring to violate and invade U.S. sanctions. Money included uh, laundering or money laundering and violating federal law against doing business with sanctioned individuals. But that wasn't McGonagall's only foray into lawlessness. As the Wall Street Journal reports, the Justice Department also charged McGonagall in a separate case in Washington with concealing his relationship with a former employee of the Albanian intelligence agency. Prosecutors alleged McGonagall received more than $225,000 from that person and hid aspects of their relationship. And while it's true that there are plenty of committed and patriotic personnel within the FBI, the Bureau's reputation has suffered greatly due to its uh, uh, politicization. Thankfully, McGonagall's confession of a deep sense of remorse and sorrow fell on deaf ears at sentencing. 
Pro-life organizations are working for women. Republicans have taken their lumps at the polls ever since last year's Dobbs decision overturned. A half-century abomination, Roe versus Wade, but... The righteousness of the cause can't be disputed, at least not by anyone who appreciates the sanctity of life. We'll tell you more about that when we return in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. As National Review's Michael New writes, a new report from a group of pro-life organizations found impressive increases in the impact of pro-life pregnancy help centers. News continued. In 2022, pregnancy help centers saw over 970,000 clients, provided over $358 million worth of goods and services to women, youth, and families. These included everything from strollers and cribs to ultrasounds and pregnancy tests. Even more impressively, over 95% of people who sought assistance at a pro-life pregnancy resource center reported a positive experience. We've said it before and we'll say it again. Babies when and by the way, at this uh, year's end, you might want to consider giving to the pregnancy resource center of your choice in your community. They are doing God's work. Well, a Confederate memorial in Arlington National Cemetery will be removed in the coming days. The erasure is thus part of the push to eliminate symbols of our past that some find offensive, namely those that commemorate the long uh, losing side of the war between the states in an effort to bring about reconciliation. As the Washington Times reports, the decision ignores a recent demand from more than 40 Republican congressmen that the Pentagon suspend efforts to dismantle and remove the monument from Arlington Cemetery. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin disagrees with the decision and plans uh, to move the monument to a nearby historical park. The Times continues, and I'm quoting, the statue unveiled, unveiled rather in 1914 features a bronze woman crowned with olive leaves standing on a 32-foot pedestal and was designed to represent the American South. According to Arlington, the woman holds a laurel wreath, a plow uh, stock, and pruning hook with a biblical inscription at her feet that says, they have beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Well, taking DEI to the next level in a self-proclaimed effort to stamp out sexism and a lack of diversity, the CEO of Aviva, a British insurance company, is engaging in blatant sexism and racial discrimination to ensure that woke diversity quotas are met. Aviva head Amanda Blanc says a non, no non-diverse hire, read white males, can be brought on without her approval. The scope of the charter is to get more women into senior management roles, she explained. My belief is if you have more women in senior management roles, this behavior will go away. Well, the problem Blanc was referencing was a toxic work environment supposedly rife with sexual misconduct. It is interesting um, to see the effort to promote anti-white bigotry in a country whose indigenous population is, well, white. But this is what adopting the neo-Marxist ideology of critical race theory gets you. People are judged not as individuals, but as members of a group. And the ironic result is even more sexism and racism, the exact opposite of what the left is claiming to fight, goes on. Well, go figure. Well, a Seattle teen failed a gender quiz for giving the correct answer. We're talking about a sophomore at Chief Stealth International High School in Seattle, Washington, recently failed a history quiz when he gave actually he, not she. These days, it's all very confusing when he uh, gave answers to questions that didn't adhere to the woke gender bending dogma. The quiz in question was titled Understanding Gender Versus Sex, and it used a true false formulation. The student answered two questions as true. All men have male genitalia and one only women can get pregnant. 
His accurate answers were marked incorrect, resulting in a failing score for the knowledge check quiz. The student's mother felt frustrated and angry upon seeing the quiz and noted how her son, who is white, reports being accused of being a racist by teachers and called a product of a patriarchy that teaches young boys not to care about anything. The Seattle Public Schools claimed the quiz was designed to promote inclusion in line with its standards for ethnic study classes. However, this little boy was not really included in any way, particularly after giving factually correct answers. A biblically committed Christian school holds the view on uh, to a holds to a view rather on sexuality that views any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage defined as between one man and one woman as sinful and people are shocked. Well, yet this is what the left media would have you believe. Hence the attempt to gen up outrage over the fact that um, Abilene Christian University holds to scripture as it, uh, its guide on sexuality during its Holy Sexuality Week event. A new alumni group claiming over 2,000 student alumni and friends formed to smear the recent event as denying the um, lived reality of LGBTQ plus Christians claiming it inaccurately promoted the idea that homosexuality lacks a genetic basis, which is true. There is no evidence of a gay gene and that the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. This is a classic case of rainbow mafia bullying. They don't like the fact that a private Christian school views homosexuality as sinful and therefore seeks to pressure administrators, faculty and staff into giving up their faith based convictions in order to avoid being labeled as hateful bigots. The trouble is too many are willing to bow to the rainbow flag rather than withstand the deviant uh, assault. Here's hoping the ACU stands strong on the unchanging word of God and doesn't uh, fall for the false temptation of going along to get along. Leaked explicit video shows two men engaging in sexual activity in a rather pornographic uh, video in the Senate hearing room. Giuliani will pay $148 million, or at least he's been ordered to pay, in damages for defaming two Georgia election workers. A suspect has been charged with DUI after the president's motorcade uh, was uh, involved in a crash. The Biden administration gave $34 million to confidential aid groups in Gaza. The watchdog warns the uh, money could enrich terrorists. And the majority of Americans, 18 to 24, think the nation of Israel should be ended and given to Hamas. That's according to the New York Post. Uh, Billions of Middle East donations to U.S. universities have been linked to campus anti-Semitism. Three hostages were shot dead after being misidentified by soldiers. Um, Israel says they were hostages. Arizona's Democrat governor signed an order to send the National Guard to the border. Chicago's mayor announced plans to axe the city's high-achieving selective enrollment high school to boost equity, despite promising not to during the election campaign. Imagine that, a politician promising one thing and doing the opposite. An ex-New York Times editor has been forced out over a Tom Cotton op-ed writing a condemning tell-all about the exit. The Musk-hating Biden FCC dropped the Starlink deal adopted in 2020, and children are turning to social media before turning to their parents, according to a new poll. You can read more about that at the Washington Stand. And a veteran has been given eight medals on his 100th birthday that he never received for his service during World War II. On this day in history, 1865, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, abolishing slavery is declared in effect by Secretary of State William H. Seward. Months earlier, he had survived an assassination attempt on the same night that President Abraham Lincoln was killed. 1892, 
Uh, Peter Ilyich Tchaikovsky, his ballet The Nutcracker, publicly premieres at St. Petersburg in Russia. 1916, during World War I, the 10-month Battle of Verdun, it ends with French troops uh, succeeding in repulsing a major German offensive. 1917, Congress passes the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, prohibiting the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors and sends it to the states for ratification. 1940, Adolf Hitler signs a secret directive ordering preparations for a Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union. Operation Barbarossa would launch in June of 1941. 1944, the U.S. Supreme Court upholds the government's wartime evacuation of people of Japanese descent from the West Coast, while at the same time ruling that conceitedly loyal Americans of Japanese ancestry could not continue to be detained. 1957, the shipping port atop power station in Pennsylvania, the first nuclear facility to generate electricity in the United States, goes online. It will be taken out of service in 1982. 1972, the United States begins heavy bombing of North Vietnamese targets during the Vietnam War. 1998, the House debates articles of impeachment against President Biden, or excuse me, President Bill Clinton. Get these names straight. 2000, the Electoral College casts its ballots for President-elect George W. Bush, receiving the expected 271. Al Gore, however, receives 266, one fewer than expected because of a District of Columbia Democrat who leaves her ballot blank, to protest the district's lack of representation in Congress. 2013, the Presidential Advisory Panel releases a report recommending sweeping changes to government surveillance programs, including limiting the bulk collection of America's phone records by stripping the National Security Agency of its ability to store that data in its own facility. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.